Um, if you want to turn with me uh, in your Bibles, um, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 2 today, and we're going to be reading verses 16 uh, to 23. You'll find that on page 1183 um, of the, the Pew Bibles there. As we come to, to read um, God's Word and to um, hear a bit uh, about it. Let's, let's just pray uh, before we do that. Lord, you have told us many things about your word. You've told us that it is, it's not just a book. Uh, it's not just a history book. It's not just a, a document um, filled with amazing stories from, from thousands of years ago but you've told us that your, your word is as relevant now as it has ever been, that it is living and active, that it is sharper than a double-edged sword, that it cuts through to the hearts of man. Lord, we have seen the embodiment of your word in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. And Lord, as we come to, to read your word now, as we come to hear it uh, preached. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through it. Lord, we pray that nothing that is said in the next uh, few minutes would be of me, but Lord, that it would be of you. Lord, speak through me. And Lord, prepare our hearts as we hear your word to receive from it. Amen. Let me read to you Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility And the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. We're going to uh, end our reading there uh, for today. Um, but I would like you, if possible, to keep the, keep the whole of chapter two there um, open in front of you. The reason I'm saying that is because our, our section today um, starts with that word, therefore. 
Uh, and it's a word we have to take notice of because it means that we have to keep account and take into, uh, take into our minds what has happened before. And really, today's sermon is part two of what Christoph spoke about last week. Um, I hope you were here for that or you've, you've listened to that on the, the podcast. And the key verses to this whole section and really the whole book are verses six and seven. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, the the problem for the church at Colossae was that they were being pushed and encouraged to look to earthly things. Some religious things, and some non-religious things, but all of them earthly things. The push was to say that Christ was not enough. You also need more, something else. I want you to imagine for a minute that you're a fish, right? I know, it's quite the segue. You've, You've been... I couldn't think of a better way to get into that, by the way, I'm just saying, you know. Imagine you're a fish, right? Um, and you've been designed this pond to live in. It's just the right size. There's the perfect amount of, of stuff for you to, to interact with, the perfect amount of food and light. The, the world that you've been given to live in, with its restrictions, is the one that gives you the very best life that you can have. It's the world in which you can be most free. It's a wee bit like the Christian living in the kingdom of God. We have been given restrictions, parameters to live by, the the moral law of the Bible, an expression of the very character of our God, the, the person of Jesus Christ. And we're called to live his way. Not because it saves us, not because it makes us better people, but because this is who our God is and how he knows we will live best. These young Christians in Colossae, they're, they're still trying to figure out what this life with Christ, what these restrictions to the way they, they've lived before are. And, and how they actually allow them to have more freedom in Christ and not less. But some people have infiltrated the church. Some perhaps with, with good intentions, some with not so good intentions. And they've been telling the Colossians that the, the way of God, that the life in and with Christ isn't enough. That their, their pawn that they're living in it isn't quite right. We can't be totally sure uh, what exactly the Colossians were being taught that was so wrong. But we can see some of the elements of it in what Paul's warnings are in this chapter. Uh, In verse 8, which we looked at last week, Paul warns them not to get caught up in the ways of this world, the powers and authorities of this world. How he goes on to talk about how the cross, uh, through the cross, Jesus showed that the, the Romans, who thought themselves to be this, this morally superior, super advanced culture, was actually totally morally devoid. 
The cross and the way of Christ says exactly the same about our culture. You see, many Christians today, we're tempted to live in our own, our own version of Christianity. To say that the, the, the morality of our world and culture is better and more advanced than God's morality, it's, it's outdated. We need to update it. We need to, we need to think bigger. See, we look out of our pond and we see a whole world out there. We see this great freedom to live however we want, to be God of our own lives. Look at everything I could have out there. And jumping out of the pond is great. You jump into a whole new world. Seems totally free with all sorts of new ideas and sensations. And you're free. Free to die. That's what happens to the fish outside of the pond. And that's what happens to the person living outside of and in opposition to Christ. Because at its heart, it's selfish, it's destructive, and it's lacking in all hope. The Colossians, they're struggling to live in the way of God. We'll see that in the the rest of the letter, where Paul challenges some of these, the behaviors going on in this Christian community. But it's not actually the main point of this part of the letter. Here, Paul is, is much more concerned with what's going on within their pond, within the faith of these people. And he gives two very clear warnings to these young disciples who should be alive in and living for Christ. He says people alive in Christ should be wary of human traditions and super spirituality. Essentially, Paul says these things, they might might look like faith. They might look like God's way but they're actually just other ways of taking our focus off Christ and placing it on ourselves instead. They are just as dangerous as living in the ways of the world, but they can often be a lot more subtle. So a warning against human tradition, verses 16 and 17. The focus of this warning here is on two things, diet and days. It seems that some were suggesting that that people would be closer to God if they kept the Jewish food laws. These were laws that were put in place at the time to protect people from disease, to teach them about the importance of purity, and to develop their conscience before the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, he abolishes these dietary laws. He he teaches the importance not of an outward observance, but of inward change. In Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 18 to 23, Jesus is, is just after confronting the Pharisees about this issue. And he's talking to his disciples, and they, they still don't quite get it. And he says to them, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared, all foods cling. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, 
murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Peter and Paul both go on to say the same thing about these food laws throughout the New Testament. So why such a big push against some diet advice? It wasn't just that bacon was so tasty that they didn't want people missing out. It may have played a role. I hope it did. Um, it's, it's not that. It's that these food laws, which had been added to by the Pharisees to include all sorts of other food and drink as well by this stage, they were no longer about purity or conscience. They had become a, an external badge of honor which made others in the community feel like less and allowed those keeping them to kid themselves that they were closer to God when actually their hearts were far from him. Now, I'm not saying that you go from this place today and eat only ice cream and beer for every meal. Our bodies are temples for the Holy Spirit and should be looked after. And the Bible says we shouldn't engage in any behavior that causes us to lose our self-control like the overindulgence in alcohol. But we also shouldn't restrict ourselves just to show others how spiritual or how much better we are than them. And as far as keeping special days, it seems that those falsely teaching the Colossians have completely missed the point of those special occasions. The religious festivals, the new moon celebrations, they were put in place to be a reminder, a constant reminder to the people of God's goodness and his promises to them. And the Sabbath, it displayed something of the, the rest into which God would lead his people through the Messiah. All of these food laws, they pointed to a purity that could only be achieved by Christ. And all of these special days, they, they pointed to promises that found their fulfillment only in Christ. As verse 17 says, they were just a shadow. Their fulfillment was in Christ. And that line in, in verse 17, the shadow and the reality, it could be a little bit of a tagline for the whole book of Hebrews. We're currently studying Hebrews in our evening series, or evening services, and if, if you want to know more about how the, the Old Testament points to and helps us to understand uh, the finished and continuing work of Christ, you might want to check those out on the podcast, um, or even join us tonight. I don't want to say too much more about that now, other than to say that we have the light of the world revealed to us in, in all of his incredible glory. Why on earth would we want to wrap ourselves back up in shadow? If we head back to our, our fish pond for a minute, I hope I'm not pushing this one too far. Um, I don't care. Um, this is a wee bit like our fish, thinking, wow, this pond that's been designed for me, it's, it's pretty good but I think I can make it better. There's some pebbles and gravel in the bottom. Let's, let's add some more. There's some wee ornaments for me to hide in and, and go around. Let's throw a few more of those in. 
And soon there isn't room to move. The fish is completely trapped. All of its freedom, gone. And along with it, all of the joy. See, the moment that first pebble, that first additional pebble hit the water, it stopped being that same perfect pool. And it became something less. It's the same with the gospel. If we add anything, no matter how well-intentioned, no matter how religious it might seem, it stops being the gospel. And it doesn't have any power to save us. So what's this all mean for us? Well, we don't require people to keep special diets. Our weekly gatherings and our special days should be about celebrating the reality of Christ, not adding additional burdens. But in our wee country, in this weird wee place we call Northern Ireland, this can rear its head in all sorts of different ways. Some churches expect people to to dress a certain way, behave a certain way. We sometimes expect people walking in the door of our churches to to behave as mature Christians before they've even found Christ. Some places might say to you, you're not really a Christian if you touch a drop of alcohol or if you kick a football on a Sunday. But what about us? You might think that you're not very legalistic. And you may think that Kirkpatrick isn't a very legalistic place, a place that that adds additional rules. But these things can so easily slip into our lives and our church from time to time. And we need to be aware of it. We need to be on guard against it. Because legalism leads to some pretty nasty things. Leads to us judging others when we should be loving others. It leads to joylessness in our Christian walk. It leads to little Christian cliques where everyone's the same, where there should be diversity in the body. And it leads to a shallow, self-righteous faith with absolutely no depth. I was chatting to, to my mechanic the other day. He's not a Christian. Um, he's, not a, he's never been a churchgoer, but he loves a good gossip. Um, and he will talk about anything. So I was with him, and he, he sort of knows the direction that I'm heading down this sort of ministry route. Um, and so he, he starts having a go at Christians. And he chats away, and we have this massively long-ranging conversation. And he stops to allow you maybe to get three words in, and then he's off on something else. He's a brilliant guy. But at one point, he says this to me. He says, he's at the, the, the test center a lot, and, and one of the MOT testers, he, he sits every day at lunch on his own reading his Bible. He says he won't talk to any of the other fellas because they all swear and they talk dirty. And he says, when he goes out into the floor, though, He's rude, he's arrogant, he's nasty. He treats everyone else like they're the dirt on the bottom of a shoe. And then he says to me, is that man going to heaven? And I said, well, that's between him and God. Uh, But I'd imagine if that's how he gets on, he'll have a few things to say to him either way. Now, I don't know if that story's true. I can well imagine that those sorts of characters probably exist in Northern Ireland. But the the interesting thing to me was there's a non-Christian guy in and out of this place every so often. 
seeing this guy from a distance. And that was his assessment of what a Christian is. I wonder what the people who are maybe observing us from a distance might be saying about us. He says he's a Christian, but his life's no different from anybody else's. I thought these Jesus guys were, were meant to be joyful or loving or patient or, or any of those other gifts that the Spirit gives to us. But she, she doesn't seem to be. I'm not talking to him anymore. I want nothing to do with him. He's always judging me, acting like he's better than me. I wonder, are you living in the freedom and joy and real life that Christ offers? Rooted and built up in him. Are you showing that to others? Those who you interact with, those who, you, who are maybe watching you from a distance? If we are living authentically for Christ, some people aren't going to like it. And they will reject us. They did it to Jesus. They continue to do so with his disciples. But others will be intrigued. Intrigued as, as God's spirit works in their hearts. We are to live as Christians under God's perfect law, which shows us real life. But when we add to it, we don't ever make it better. All we do is take away the life that it offers. And people see it. Christ is all we need. The second warning that Paul gives in this passage is against super spiritualism. This is verses 18 and 19. Essentially, what, what seems to have been going on here is some form of, of Gnosticism. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's a, it was a false teaching that was um, sort of throughout the early church. Uh, and it took different forms, but essentially it said, look, you know, we're not good enough to go directly to God. You need a secret knowledge. You need something more, some extra steps that, that we will impart to you because we, we've learned the way. In this case, they seem to be directing people to pray to and worship angels in the hopes that they might eventually take their prayers and worship to God. They're also claiming a special additional revelation through visions that only they can, can teach and impart to the people. They pretend to be humble, saying that they're not, we're not good enough to come before God, but are really actually proud and deceiving God's people. There are always people like this in the church. People who want you to look at them and not at Christ. People who want power, authority, to be loved, and ultimately to take God's place in your life. What, are, what we're describing here in, in these particular verses is, is perhaps more prevalent in, in charismatic circles today. But the concept of what's going on here is just as relevant for us here today. It happens when at the, the prayer time, we pray lengthy, wordy prayers to show just how super spiritual we are. 
It's when those of us who know the Bible well control the Bible study and use our knowledge to put others down. It happens when speakers are more interested in impressing people with their intellect rather than making the gospel plain. It's anything where we draw attention away from God, away from Christ, and onto ourselves. These are the guys who, t- and this is, this is my last fish analogy. These are the guys who tell our fish that he can't even come into the pond until he learns the secret handshake that only they can teach him. Verse 19 is, is cutting to the core of these false teachers. They've lost their connection to the head. They've lost their connection to Christ. Why? Because they've tried to replace him. They have tried to elevate themselves up to be the leaders, the ones everyone is looking at. And people, they flock to them, both then and now. Why? I think partly it's because we actually struggle to get our heads around the magnitude, around the bigness, the greatness, the amazing stuff that Christ has actually done for those of us who he has called to be his disciples. That because of his sacrifice on the cross, the punishment for our sin was totally and completely placed on him. Past, present, future. Not only that, his righteousness was placed on us. We are perfect in the sight of God. When he looks at us, now he sees the righteousness of his son. And he says, come, come and be with me. The most powerful being in existence, our Lord and King, the creator of the entirety of everything. He now counts us as his sons and daughters, along with Christ, adopted into the very household of our King. We have constant never-ending, never-stopping access to God right now. A God who loves us. And yet we fail to grasp it, to understand it. We think it's, it's too easy, too simple. It, it must require something from us something more complicated. And so we listen to those who tell us there's more to it. If it depended on us in any way, even in the most minor way, it would fail. And to say that it is, it is too easy is to fail to recognize that it cost God everything. It cost him his son to save a people who betrayed him, who deserved only his judgment. There is nothing cheap about our salvation, but it is free. And it is through Christ alone. Jesus is enough. We don't need extra rules. We don't need special gifts or revelations. We just need to be in him, rooted and built up in him.
The last few verses are, are really a conclusion to this section, and we're going to use it as our conclusion today. Really, all that it's saying is, where is your focus? On the things of earth or on the things of heaven that you have been brought into? Living in the the ways of the world, living by self-imposed rules and regulations, or following human teachers who, who want to distract you from the true gospel, it's all the same. They're man-made religions. They are less than Christ. And although some of them might seem good, it might look like faith, it might look like religion, they're of no value. They're of no value in saving us or drawing us close to God. What we need is Christ to be rooted and built up in him immersed in his living, active, life-giving word. Not the world's view or man-made tradition or man-focused spirituality, but God's way. The God who who has lifted us up out of the murky depths by his son's sacrifice and brought us into his kingdom, into his pond. Sorry, one more where we can, by by his Spirit's help, live in him. And we'll see more of what that life in him looks like next week. But for now, let's pray.